0: Friendly laugh. Check. I feel like things to talk about are coming to me easier during the week, so that's nice so I can write them down and have them articulated when I come to film them. The other day I was watching something and somebody mentioned bowling or there was something related to bowling, and I was like, oh, okay, now I'm craving bowling. And usually when I get a craving like that, it, it will be with me until I execute it. That sounded weird? Not execute, but like... Until I do the thing, so I'm craving bowling for a couple of days, I'm looking up places, what's near me, what can I drive to, what can I afford? Then I found one, it's a mile from me, it's the cheapest one in town, two, bada-bing! So I got a ride there and then I walked back. Plus I spent an hour bowling and I played four games in that hour. I got like an 83, then 87, then I restarted the game out of anger, and then the fourth one I totally forgot my score because I really had to poop. But that was a lot of fun. Four games in an hour, that's unheard of. No wait time. It's just like bowl, comes back, bowl. And then and come back, bowl. <laughs> I always have to do that just to be self-deprecating. <laughs> Cause I don't think enough people are self-deprecating. Honestly, I don't think enough people are self-deprecating in the sense of stopping themselves from repeating themselves. I don't like repeating myself in any way. I don't like being predictable. So, actually, in the bowling video that I did, I gave myself away by being predictable and pulling my shirt down after every bowl. I've been seeing comments about them and people are acting, people are pointing it out as if I'm not playing a sport. If I was swinging a baseball bat, I'd be pulling my shirt down. If I'm shooting a basketball, I'd be pulling my shirt down. Now, if I'm having a conversation with you and I'm pulling my shirt down then, because I don't want you to see my underbelly, that's different than playing a sport. Come on, guys. So, what they're interpreting as self-consciousness is... isn't. Any other t- any other scenario they put me in there, and pulling down my shirt, that's self-consciousness, but not when I'm playing a sport, come on, that's just like discomfort. Whatever, but anyways, people are pointing it out because I was doing it after every bowl, throw, toss, whatever you want to call it. And I hate it because I was predictable. I was predictable, people knew it was gonna happen, and I was like, damn. it! Anyway, I'm here to talk about anxiety, because in my opinion, it controls people. Anxiety and self-consciousness, they control. I have anxiety, especially when it comes to loud and crowded places. Trying to have a conversation with somebody in in those environments is tough because of my sensory overload. That's not even close to the only environment that the anxiety will reveal itself in. I do think, though, that I have a really good handle on handling my anxiety in in those moments. Using my anxiety to show you something else on the outside. In acting class, I remember thinking everybody should take an acting class. Correction. Everybody with anxiety should take an acting class, even if it's not a pursuit that you're gonna career- uh, <sighs> A career that you're gonna pursue. I must be dyslexic. The lessons that can be learned in acting class can be life-changing, as they were for me. I can stand there in an argument with a family member, a coworker, even a stranger, multiple times a stranger, and be quivering on the inside, but that's not what I'm showing on the outside. In tense moments, I make sure and I hang my hands down at my side. I don't fidget, I don't put my hands in my pockets, because that's actually tell that you're nervous. I see that happen a lot. It, you can test that out if you want to. Just bring up a topic that you know somebody has a sensitivity to, not maliciously and see what they either do with their hands, their legs, or their eyes. Because sometimes people will fidget or hard blink, depending on the word that you say, because of a sensitivity that they have to that. My plan of action in those moments, those tense moments, is to remain seemingly as unaffected as possible. I do it pretty well, but I do have some weak points too. My voice shakes in those moments, that's something I need to work on. Or it'll get weak and I have to like swallow in the middle of my sentence. I need to practice on tightening my diaphragm. In those times of high energy or nervous anger. I also pick my fingers a lot. That's also just a habit, but I definitely do it when I'm nervous. These are not uncontrollable things, they're just things that we don't pay attention to in times of being nervous. We don't know how we give ourselves away. Self-consciousness is ugly and I see it everywhere. People give away their own insecurities in a myriad of ways, only a few of them being through the spoken word. Ninety percent of our communication is nonverbal, meaning ten percent of our communication is just words. Body language means so much. And I saw a video of two women singing and harmonizing in a parking garage, and then a stranger walks by them, and they're in the middle of singing, and then when they see the stranger, they cower and like get out of frame and like nervously laugh. <laughs> and the stranger's like, D- "You guys are amazing." And there is a reality in which those two girls could have kept singing, gentle wave, whatever, explain after you're done, or not at all. I wished for them the confidence to just stand there and sing your song, because it was actually incredible. The, the harmony, they prejudged that person by thinking that they were gonna be judged, because their default settings are programmed to be that insecure over just a stranger walking by them filming a video. The only way to beat that, i found, is through exposure therapy. I found myself doing this kind of exposure therapy to myself before I even ever heard that Scientology uses the same technique. And I was like, hmm, that's probably not great, but let me explain this exercise to you. This is something that they do, now they have a machine to help with it, but before it just started out like this. There's a, there's a movie called The Master with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix that details this exact thing that I'm gonna explain to you. Two people sit across from each other. And one person, they'll just start, you know, you go first. This person will try to scare this person, like bah. Or try to insult them, offend them, all trying to see physical reactions from them. So the instigator is is testing their reflexes, their responses to mean words. And the first few times that they bah, scare, insult, dig into him, you see physical reactions of startling or hard blinking to these offensive words. Then, as the exercise keeps going, the person, the reactions get less and less each time. They call this flattening the button. Found your button, your sensitivity, now we're flattening your button. Because I'm going to press it so many times, we're going to nullify it. Even though I don't subscribe or support the Church of Scientology in any way. This technique can actually help. It'll help you get through an anxiety block that you have. bugs the crap out of me when people say, I I just can't do it, I can't do that. When it's clearly something that they could do if their anxiety about it was gone. I just can't do it, I encounter that every day. Even when I say it about something, I catch myself and I go, well, I haven't put myself through it for long enough to make an opinion about it. So of course I don't want to, I don't know anything about it, there's all these unknowns. The unknown is terrifying, but it's always way less scary than we make it out to be. Sometimes the unknown turns out beautifully for us. And it's so funny, because when people go, oh, I just can't do it, I think, man, if I was in charge of you, dude, that's the first thing that I would make you go get accustomed to, is whatever you're anxious about, face that head on. I also feel bad for people who don't recognize the anxiety as being part of spiritual warfare, and the spiritual game of -of tug-of-war that's happening over a person's life. Yes, anxiety can be chemical imbalances, absolutely. But demons attack disabled people too. And anxiety isn't even being disabled, so yeah, you would be open to the attack. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled is convincing the world he didn't exist. So if you have anxiety and don't recognize it as a spiritual attack too, then you are opening yourself up to worlds and worlds of torment. And you don't really have any answers for why, because it's not just take a pill and that's it. Your anxiety is going to be plucked and played with until you cannot take it anymore. When I moved to Brazil at age 11, in hindsight, I believe that there was a lot going on there spiritually that I was not aware of. I was only 11. One thing that started happening is I was having these interjecting thoughts. Let me tell you about them. I do not attribute them to me being sick or really even having a chemical imbalance. I would argue with just about anybody, on it being more of a spiritual attack from our enemies than just something that a pill could fix. This is how it all started. One day I got this random thought that says F God, but the actual profane word. Popped into my head and I was 11, and I went, whoa, where did that come from? Like that was loud. That's not how I feel, and that was not my thought. That was not my thought. Then it wouldn't just happen once, it would be like F God, F God, F God. On repeat, like a broken record. This is where some of the chemical imbalance can come into play, absolutely. Some ADHD, OCD, something like that, but F-God would play in my head those two words over and over, and I couldn't stop it. I promise you I could not get it to stop. Whether that's a demon just hammering away at my mind, or it's a demon taking advantage of an already-in-place chemical imbalance in my, in my brain, in my mind the way my wiring is. Either way, it's awful. I remember crying to my mom out in the pool, like three weeks that it had been happening, and I was like, I can't make it stop! And that went on for a long time. Those intrusive thoughts of F God. As I got older, I've been able to make those two words stop, but even talking about them here like this, it starts it again, and I actively try and stop it. And hopefully you just ask yourself how, because the best thing for me to do is to take my mind off of that thing immediately and focus on a task or anything within my vicinity. Not like, stop thinking about that thing. Try to make it stop. That doesn't work. That just makes it worse. Mentally focus on anything else in the room. Oh, my desk is unorganized. Let me do this and this and that and listen to music. That usually gets it to stop. Or instead of running away mentally like that, there are ways to combat these interjecting thoughts I've found. Let me tell you about those. In periods of being depressed, I've had intrusive thoughts about self-harm. I've told this to my therapist and I did jokingly say that I'm way too narcissistic to do anything like that. Self-harm, or worse. Like, I'm self-deprecating in certain areas of my life, pertaining to my weight and my finances, mostly. But I do have a tremendous amount of self-love. I'm a fan of myself and the stuff that I create, and that has saved my life. So, my firearm. In times of being depressed, I would have shoot myself, enter my head just a dagger of a thought, right? It would enter my mind, and that, the the reality of doing that is never an option for me, that will never be an option for me. But that doesn't stop the intrusive thoughts thoughts from happening. They continued until I learned how to combat them. So every time that shoot myself would enter my head, I would tack on at the end there with my camera. I would change the sentence, I would change the meaning of the two words popping in my head. So every time it would be shoot myself with my camera, yes, I should shoot myself with my camera. Yes, I should. Actively combating. Once I did that, those thoughts stopped. When I was living with my parents, I would arrive home from work and when I would get close to the house, this is interesting, when I would get close to the house, I would have these interjecting thoughts, I hate my mom, I hate my dad. And I go, whoa, that's not how I feel. Those are not my thoughts. So then I started to combat them. It would be, I hate my dad. I love Stephen Dwight Everett. I hate my mom, I love Melinda Christine Everett. I would even say it three times, per every intrusive thought that happened, those thoughts stopped happening. The most interesting fact about all of that to me is that when I'm reading my Bible, going to church, praying, doing acts of love, I am bombarded with constant intrusive thoughts that I have to run away from or combat, take it captive, depending on what it is. I'll I'll get to that in a moment too. On the flip side, when I'm drinking, smoking, looking for hookups, wasting time, those thoughts, those intrusive thoughts, never happen. Never happen. Because I'm in the pool of crap that the demons want me to be in. When I start reapproaching the Lord, the light, the grip that the demons have and the game of tug of war over my life starts to slip. So naturally, they tighten their grip. No, we can't lose you. So they start dagger, 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 dagger. It's spiritual guys. Anybody who's trying to fight spiritual stuff with physical remedies is not going to have it work. You have to fight the spiritual with the spiritual. And I consider the thoughts that I'm saying back to it, I consider that to be spiritual, Those, that's, that's mine. Because if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. It just takes endurance in that resistance. If you have not seen the movie, The Empty Man, I recommend that you do so. A catchphrase, A catchphrase in the movie, or a line that's used often, is stare into the abyss, and the abyss will stare back into you. Meaning, whatever you think about, whatever you desire, the empty man is gonna manifest that for you, because we are what we think about. We are not our intrusive thoughts, but if we grab the intrusive thought and think about it, even for a second, it's game over. Because the next time it pops into your head, you're gonna think about it for three seconds and then 6 seconds, and then 9, and then 12, and then 24. The movie The Empty Man begs the question of seeds of thought leading to thoughts, leading to obsession, leading to action. We are what we think about, so think positively about yourself and about others around you. Nobody just wakes up and decides to go shoot at school. That is a decline. That is an intrusive thought. Shoot your school, one, one thought, boom. And then if you don't go, whoa, what was that, that's not my thought, What's the opposite of that? You go, oh, an idea. Fester, grow, grow, Columbine, Aurora. Any of the hundreds of school shootings that we've had per year in the last decades, those are because somebody held on to the thoughts that were not theirs to begin with. Somebody else planted them. Somebody you cannot see, somebody you cannot physically fight. I felt like I had to get this message out there, because I see people riddled with anxiety, riddled with self-consciousness, and riddled with thoughts and actions that didn't start out as theirs, and remedies that aren't working. Anyways, that's my episode for today. Thank you guys so much for watching, as always, and I will catch you on the flick-wick-wick side. I'm gonna... I'm gonna probably cut that part out. Bye, guys.